Yeah, First Peter's been awesome for me to study. I pray you've enjoyed it as well. And as you've been watching online, you've been hanging out with us and studying this book. Last week and the week before, we got to a section of First Peter chapter 4 where he basically pulls back from the things that he's been saying and he kind of summarizes. He starts by saying, hey, man, the end of all time or the end of all things is near. The clock is ticking. So let's be about what we're about. Let's get busy with the things that matter. We saw in Peter's words the things that we hold up as our values, as our mission here as a church, that we should worship God, him alone, that we should belong to him and to each other, that we should serve God with the gifts that he's given us and serve his people and his world and the opportunities that he grants us. We talked as, uh, you know, we th went through the last couple of weeks about how all of this is so that we might live out our mission, uh, that we live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. We spent a lot of time talking about that over these last two weeks. In fact, if you miss those, um, I'm not pumping my sermons for you just to go watch them and we get more clicks. I would really encourage you uh, to uh, watch those and be reminded of, of who we are. It's, it's what we are about as a church. Uh, but we talked those last two weeks about all those things so that we can come to what Peter comes to here next in his writing. Yeah, he was writing to a, a group of churches at the time of his uh, original penning of this page uh, who were residing in a place called Asia Minor. Uh, they were in the outskirts of uh, uh, Rome's reach. They were kind of in these isolated towns. They were certainly the minority in their faith. Uh, and they faced all kinds of persecution from um, those in their towns, in their culture, those in their families. And as Peter was telling them to, you know, be sober-minded and self-controlled, making God their first priority, as he was imploring them to love earnestly above all, as he was reminding them of how important it is to serve God with the gifts that he's given us, he, he recognized this isn't always easy. Anybody notice that about the Christ life? It's not always easy. Some people, I think, get into the, the following of Jesus hoping that it will be easy. It'll be like a day at Disney. I mean, we might have to wait in a couple lines. But mostly it's teacups and roller coasters, right? But then you find out, no, just because you have Jesus doesn't mean you get a free skate. It's hard. And it's hard for a reason. There's lots of forces in our world working against us who follow Jesus. There's a spiritual agent. Uh, Peter talks about him in the next chapter, chapter 5, verse 8 of this letter. Uh, the devil, he calls him a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Anybody heard of this guy? Yeah, he's, he's a, an ever, uh, ever apparent um, combative force, combative force against those who follow Jesus. He's at work right now. Uh, some of you are at home and the TV's on and my voice is coming through the speaker, but you're not paying attention to me at all. And you're going to walk away from Sunday saying, yep, I went to church. No, you didn't. You read BuzzFeed while I talked in the background. Some of you are doing that here in our room. I see elbows. Anyway, that's easy to get distracted. And that's, that's how Satan works. He's not coming through the front door. He's coming through the side door. He's going to kind of wiggle into the garden and say, did God really say that? He's a liar, a manipulator, the angel of light who brings darkness to everything that God creates for good. But it's not just our adversary uh, that makes it hard for us in the fulfilling of our mission. It's the world. Like, there's a world uh, 
of people out there on varying scales, but there's a world of people who don't understand Jesus, don't want to understand Jesus, and therefore aren't really fond of those who do understand and follow Jesus. Jesus said uh, this would happen uh, to his early disciples in John chapter 15. He said, if the world hates you, then know this, know that it hated me before it hated you. He says, uh, verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. That makes sense, right? If the Christian church, and many of them have, by the way, just capitulated to the subjective standards that our world continues to make, you know, in terms of morality and just their ideas about life and how things should go, if we can just kind of shoehorn Jesus into our picture of what should be, then Christians are great. We can hang. Just think like we think. Believe like we believe. Don't hold to those ancient truths, those old-fashioned ideas. Evolve, move forward, become enlightened. Otherwise, you're a bigot, a caveman. You say you love, but you hate. Yeah, this is the world's message to the Christian church. If we would just believe like they believed, and if we were of the world, the world, it says in verse 19, would love us as its own. But because we are not of the world, and because Jesus chose us to be out of the world, to be his followers, therefore the world's going to hate us. Yay. It's hard sometimes in the world that is kind of predetermined to not agree with us, to stick with what we believe. You know, uh, it used to be higher, but now uh, only a third of high school graduates who leave their church youth group and head to college stick with Jesus. That's an alarming rate. Does everybody hear me on that? And you know why? It's just too hard out there to follow Jesus. It's too hard to go to, you know, our, our nation's colleges and, and stay the course. It's not just the parties and the, and the sin that's out there. I'm sounding really old right now. <laughs> but it's the rhetoric. It's the shaming. It's the just outright intolerance of what we hold to be true that makes it hard for our kids to keep following Jesus. So life gets hard. We know our mission, but it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult because everything that's swirling out here, I mean, we got the devil against us, we got the world and its values against us, we got all the stress of what's happening in our world right now kind of weighing in, right? Viruses and, yeah. And then we got the stuff that just lands on our doorstep. It's hard enough with all that. How about the stuff that's this, right? Like in the, in the last couple of weeks, I've, I've mourned the loss of a a loved one with a family that, that loves Jesus. They, they weren't ready for that person to be gone. It's hard. Uh, I've, I've talked with those who have always been able to provide for their family, you know, and gone to work and, and, and earned the wage that was necessary to, to, to meet the needs, but that's not there anymore. In my own extended family, Eleanor and I are patiently awaiting, uh, you know, God to snap the head around of some of our kids who aren't following Jesus. Uh, we're walking through the first year of my sister's divorce that she never wanted. 
and, and never expected to happen. Line up all the couples that I know, they'd be at the end of the line of the most likely to not be married right now. We're walking through the third bout of my younger sister's cancer. What's yours? Someone once said, it's always something. I find that to be true. Now, we serve a risen and mighty Savior whose grace to us is sufficient for everything we face. I'm not complaining. I'm just calling a spade a shovel. It's hard to follow Jesus. So maybe you're here and you got this same question. I'm a Christian, and either right now life is hard or in the past life has been hard, or I'm going to tell you right now, for everybody in here, life will get hard. What do I do when that happens? I'm a Christian, life's hard. What do I do now? Peter's going to tell us. Here we go. Ready? Everybody ready to study God's word? Here we go. First thing he's going to tell us is don't be surprised. Look at verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, beloved. I love that he calls us beloved here. It's the Greek word agape, which is God's love, this unconditional love, this unrelenting love. Uh, and he just makes it a noun. So it's agapetoi. Beloved ones, those whom God loves. Love that he calls us that. He says, don't be surprised. That's where I got the point. Did everybody pick that up? He says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. I told you, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. We get surprised in all kinds of ways that I don't think are necessary. We should just expect things to go wrong. I'm not saying be pessimistic. I'm just saying be realistic, realistic, right? Our daughter is uh, 23 years old. She's moved out of the house, and uh, she's paying her own way and, and uh, grateful for that. She needs to do that as a young adult. But she is uh, constantly marveling at how much life costs. Remember that when you got out on your own? <laughs> Wait a minute, I got to pay this? I got to pay that? And the engine light came on in her uh, 2008 Toyota Camry. Uh, she like a good American, drove with it on for as long as she felt comfortable. <laughs> and uh, then eventually she took it to a shop. The shop uh, came up with a long list of things that her cards needs done. She consulted me on what we should have done, and, and she pared it down to like, you know, from this to this. And, and then uh, still had to pay the price to have, you know, the diagnostics done and all the things that could be fixed or needed to be fixed most fixed. And, uh, and then she comes into our house after, you know, getting that bill. And what does she say? I cannot believe how much it costs to fix a car. And her mother and I rush to her and comfort her. No, we don't. We're like, welcome to the jungle, right? I've had lots of cars. They all broke at one time or another and had to be replaced. What are you going to do about that, sis? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, don't be surprised when things break in a broken world. Don't be surprised when you follow Jesus and adversity comes. Be grateful, and we're going to get to that in a second, because God uses it to move you forward in your relationship with him. But it's, it's, it's not been hidden from us. I mean, from the very first followers, Jesus has been saying, here's what you can expect. In fact, if you want to be my disciple, here's what it takes. He tells us, uh, tells us in Matthew 16, listen, if anyone will come after me, a couple things. First of all, deny yourself. Lose. Just get used to losing. Set aside your entitlements, your tastes, your preferences, 
All the things that you think are yours as a human being, just set those aside, which is enough. Is everybody with me that that's enough? That seems like a lot already. But then he says, and by the way, he says this a year before he is nailed to his cross. He's already kind of, you know, uh, seeding the idea in the minds of his followers. And he says this, take up your cross and follow me. Forever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, let, me, let me bridge real quick. Uh, don't be surprised when trials come, but let me bridge real quick to, to something that's kind of embedded in this verse that, that I think is just so awesome. Here, here, here's, it says, don't be surprised when you experience the fiery trials. Everybody see that? Let's talk about the word fire there. It's the Greek word purosis from whence we get our Latin root pyro. Everybody say pyro. I'll confess, I'm a bit of a pyro. Does anybody like to play with fire? I love to just light things on fire. And fire is this great thing. If you, if you have one of these on a cold night, I don't, we don't have those in Florida, but where I grew up in Maine, uh, you would light one of these things in a fireplace in the middle of December. Uh, just hardly anything better, I'm not gonna lie to you. Some hot cocoa by a warm fire. And I don't know about you, I, every once in a while, I like to eat something that's not raw. And so I'm grateful for the heat properties of fire, you know, especially on the grill where I grill all the foods that currently I'm eating. Um, but fire is destructive, uh, if not channeled property. And certainly God uses this analogy of fire over and over again in his dealings with people. Now the main way is it's hard to hold that. Have you ever noticed that? It's really hard to hold. He, the, the ways that he uses fire in the lives of those, uh, or we humans, is, is two ways. He uses it as a consuming fire. The Bible talks about that. But he also uh, blesses us with a refiner's fire. Now, the consuming fire, just so we're clear on this, is the judgment fire. So if you and I defy God, deny God, disobey God, get too far, he's going to teach us through his consuming fire too. But mostly, it's like, all right, that's enough. Like, see uh, the consuming fires as they uh, would be represented in the flood with Noah. Sodom and Gomorrah, that was a fire that rained down from heaven and actually destroyed a whole town. And uh, there was these, uh, this family of uh, family members of, of Abraham's uh, clan, uh, Lot and his wife, and they were actually leaving Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that story? And they were told, don't crane your necks, don't look back. And then Lot's wife did, and once again, the consuming fire, the judgment of God on disobedience came in, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. Now, every once in a while, you and I just rebelliously, uh, defiantly disobey God, and he sends his judgment, his consuming fire to us to snap our heads around and to let everybody else around us know, I will not be trifled with, thus saith the Lord. Everybody with me? But the predominant form of fire that God uses in the lives of those that he loves is a refining fire. Now, it still burns, okay? When I say that you suffer and that you have trials, they hurt, it's painful. But we have the scriptures uh, to testify to this. God, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our trials, is accomplishing much. The refiner's fire has two main objectives, to hone and to temper. When I say it, it hones us, it burns off all the stuff that shouldn't be there. And so God sends these trials into our lives to just rid us of the sins and the stupidity and the right, you know, rebelliousness that, 
that keeps us from being a follower like we're supposed to be. And then he takes the fires and the, and the fiery trials of our lives to test us and to temper us and to strengthen us so that what we were, the metal that we were before the trial is even stronger after we're done. I, uh, I'm so grateful that God chooses to do this. He uses our trials to deepen us, to take us further. Like Paul says this in Romans chapter five, he says, uh, therefore, since you have been justified by faith, here's some good news. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is anybody grateful for that? That's our gospel. By faith, we receive what Jesus offers us through his suffering, by the way, so that we might have peace with God the Father. He goes on and he says this, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God to come. So we stand in his grace. We have the hope of his return. All good news so far, right? Now Paul's going to take us down the alley. Here we go. Then he says this. He says, not only that, though, but we, say it with me, rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Why would we rejoice in our sufferings? Well, because we know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. There's this whole string of things that can only come if God allows us to go through hard things. Let's break them down. Suffering produces endurance. That means uh, we get stronger, we can go further. We suffer now so that we can suffer better later. <laughs> endurance produces character. I love that God refers to this portion of our development with the word character. It basically means our default setting. Your character is what you are, who you are in the dark. It's how you come to situations and without thinking, just start dealing with them. If you have your character rooted in your flesh and rooted in your, your, uh, your, your own abilities, you're going to waffle and fall flat every time a, a, a disappointing thing happens in your life. You're going to go all chicken little all the time, right? But if your character has been developed by your sufferings and through your endurance to be like the character of Christ, then your attitude is, okay, bring it. My default setting is faith, trust, peace. You do that enough and you walk around with this mentality and, and uh, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character. You walk uh, through character enough and all of a sudden you just, you're marked by hope. You become like the Apostle Paul who just lived in hope. No matter what his circumstances brought him, he's like, cool, this is going to be great. Like most of the things that he wrote in the back of your New Testaments, uh, he wrote while he was in prison. He writes to his friends in Philippi and he's like, this is so awesome, I'm in jail. This is the best thing ever. I get strapped to a couple guards every day and in between them punching me in the face, I share the gospel with them. And just so you know, many of them have come to know Christ. How great is prison, you should try it. He just lives in this like, too blessed to be stressed hope. So it's good, but that doesn't, that doesn't where we start. We have to go through sufferings that produce endurance, that produce character, that create in us this hope. Hmm. So don't be surprised when trials come. That's part of it. Instead, rejoice. Don't be surprised. Do rejoice. 
Look what it says in verse 13, but rejo- rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Paul told us to rejoice in Romans. We just read it, right? Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. James tells us to count it all joy. Chapter 1, verse 2 of his letter, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of very kind, various kinds, have joy. This is one of those things that people outside the Christian faith are like, Christians are weird. Because... Um, what it seems to be saying, what the scriptures seem to be saying is that we should be like masochists. We should, we should want pain, desire suffering, count it all joy, they read. And they think like Christians are being counseled to enjoy the hurt. I don't think enjoy is the same as rejoice. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I don't like my sufferings. On an emotional level, not a big fan would prefer that they didn't happen. I'll I'll confess. I'm not smiling most of the time that I'm suffering. But if I'm doing it right, if I'm in lockstep with my Savior, I choose joy. I live in joy in the midst of anything, including my trials. So, the question I want to pivot to as we kind of draw, not near, but nearer to our end. Everybody stay calm. Is this one, where can I find joy in suffering? Where where can we, as we follow Christ, find joy in our suffering? Peter's going to help us with that as he kind of walks us through these next couple verses. Three things. First of all, our suffering uh, is is cause for rejoicing because our suffering identifies with uh, us with Jesus Christ. We get to experience Jesus in ways through our suffering that we would never experience otherwise. Look what it says in verse 14, or 13 again. It says, but rejoice insofar as you what? As you share Christ's suffering. We get to experience what Christ experienced on our behalf when he suffered for our sake. When we suffer in Christ's name, we, we identify with him. We uh, we have an affinity with them that we didn't formally have. I, I think when I think of being a disciple, um, this is, you know, our central goal is to in every way identify with Christ. For us to, in all that we think, say, and do, think, say, and do as he would. Like my hope as a, as a follower of Jesus is that when people see me, they don't see Mark Saunders, pastor of Bay Life. They see Jesus Christ who is working through Mark Saunders' A, a big dork, really, uh, who just happens to have a job as being the pastor of Bay Life. Is everybody with me on that? Like, I would much rather you say, hey, there's Jesus than there's Mark. And for us to, to realize in its fullness what it is to, to be like Christ, to exude him in life, we, we got to go through suffering so we can share with him and the things that he felt and the things that he thinks and, and the stuff that he knew before suffering came, but the stuff that we can only learn as a result of our suffering. It's almost like us going through something here on an earthly level. Like, uh, you know, I, I have uh, uh, friends whose uh, fathers served in the Vietnam War. And Vietnam vets understand the Vietnam War in ways that you and I, if we didn't go, won't. Are you with me? My sister's a three-time cancer survivor, and she gets the pink T-shirts and, you know, with all the other, but, but cancer survivors understand cancer in ways that you and I, who have not experienced it, um, 
won't understand it. COVID survivors, how's it going? Uh, other things that we've walked through, um, you have to be there, experience it to truly understand it. And so Jesus says to us, hey, walk in this suffering with me. You'll know me better as a result. The second thing is this, that our, we can rejoice in our suffering because our suffering pays off in the assured future uh, that awaits us. It says in verse 3, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when? When his glory is revealed. There's a huge payoff for those who persevere in the midst of their sufferings, for those who learn the lessons that God has intended for us in the midst of our sufferings. We'll talk about the earthly uh, payoff in a second, but, but Peter starts with, hey, don't forget, this isn't always gonna be uh, you know, a forever thing. This world that you live in, this life that you have, there's, there's an end coming, and at the end, you will be commended for your perseverance in the midst of persecution. Jesus said as much in Matthew chapter five as he was teaching in this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Pete was there, he was a young disciple, a first time follower of Jesus. I don't know if he's remembering this as he's sharing in his own letter here in First Peter, but it sure sounds a lot like what he just wrote. Jesus said this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He goes on and explains it this way. He says, blessed are you when you are, uh, or when others revile you and, you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Why? Because you can rejoice and be glad for your reward is great. Where? In the future. I'm going to come back and judge the living and the dead. I'm going to roll through your tape and we're going to see all the ways that you stood up for me, honored me, persevered in my name as things got hard. Do this because the prophets were persecuted before you. It's just part of following me in life. One of my favorite shows to watch with Eleanor a few years ago, we only watched it a couple times, I guess. I can't call it a favorite, but, uh, but I did like it. Undercover Boss, anybody seen this? That's yeah, basically a, a show about CEOs who get disguised and go and work in one of the branches of their company. Like let's say Dunkin' Donuts CEO. Uh, decides that he's going to go and just see what it's like to be on the, the lower end of the uh, flow chart. And so uh, he goes and starts making donuts, you know, uh, down at the one here on 60 or something. And he meets the people who are working there. And they don't know who he is. They just know him as Gus. And they hang out with Gus. And, and they feel like they're, you know, filming this reality show that's going to kind of, you know, be about Dunkin' Donuts in some way. But the cameras are there and Gus is there. And they're trying to teach him how to, you know, make the donuts and not burn them. I don't know. Uh, they go through the whole show. The show ends the same every time. Anybody seen it? CEOs in his office at headquarters. These people from this little podunk, Dunkin' Donuts in Brandon, Florida, are flown to wherever Dunkin' Donuts headquarters is, and uh, they're ushered into the CEO's office. The chair spins around, and there's Gus. And they're like, hey, we made donuts together. And he's like, yeah, we did. Eh? Right? And they're like, am I getting fired? They're trying to remember all the things that they did in front of Gus. Was I a good co-worker? I can't remember. But then Gus almost always does the same things. He commends them, rewards them, honors them. I'm going to send you to college. I'm going to put you in our managerial training program. I'm going to pay off your house because you told me about all the hardships that are going on in your home. And these people walk out crying. I can't believe it. I met the CEO. He paid for my house. 
How much more then are you and I, as we stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, how much more are we going to feel the elation, the joy as he commends us for walking through the hard things of our life tethered to him in faith that he would deliver? It's going to be a good thing. I can't wait. Let's get out of here. Everybody ready? Yeah. But there's not just a future blessing. Uh, There's a blessing in the right now. Why can't we rejoice? Because we can identify with Christ because there's a future reward. But there's a blessing in the right now. Look at what it says in verse 14. It says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, say it with me, you are blessed. Present tense, right now. Not someday in the future. Does everybody get what he said? If you suffer in the midst of the suffering, right now, you are blessed. Why? Because, Peter says, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. When we go through it for the sake of Christ, we go through it in the presence of his spirit. And in the midst of trials, run this back, look through your life. In the midst of trials, the spirit is more apparent The work of the Spirit is more obvious, and his power is more manifested as we have to lean on him more than we do on the good days. Are you with me? I love that he says, hey, uh, the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You know where, where else it says in the Bible that the Spirit rested on people? Pentecost. These guys are just hanging out in the upper room, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and and. In, you know, indwell them so that they can go about the work that Jesus has assigned them, right? And so they're praying. And if you remember the story in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes in like a rushing wind. And these tongues of fire, is it on? Appear above their heads, right? Like how about that for a visible manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit? Their heads went all butane, right? They just started flickering above them. Have you ever wondered how long it took for that flame to go out? Like the rest of the Bible doesn't say, and there was Peter with his head on fire. No. But they walk down the steps and the Holy Spirit works through them so that they're able to speak languages they don't know. And then Peter stands up and he preaches a message that leads thousands to put their faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit goes to work. You know, another time the Holy Spirit shows up in the book of Acts, chapter seven. You know what's happening? Stephen preaching a similar message. Thousands of people aren't going to follow Jesus on this day. In fact, there's, uh, I don't know, a dozen, 20, 50 guys who get so angry that they rip their coats off and they start looking for rocks and they surround Stephen and they start hucking rocks at Stephen. He becomes the first martyr in the early church. You know what it says about Stephen? As the rocks were flying towards him, it says that the Holy Spirit rested upon him. And he looked up into heaven. And even as the rocks found their mark, he and the Holy Spirit connected. And so it is for the followers of Christ in the midst of our rocks and the pain that we face. The Holy Spirit is there. It may not show up with a flicker over our head, but he's present, effective, making a difference, showing off. 
This might be a good time for me to mention what I got told a lot growing up when things would go wrong in my life. Hey, you must be doing something right. Anybody heard that? I don't have a verse for that. I wish I could put my finger on that, but, uh, but I think principally it's true. Uh, our adversary doesn't mess with people who aren't a threat to him. Doesn't have to. You guys keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're doing my work for me. Be, you know, uh, uh, Christians by name only. Just hang out in a church. Tolerate that guy. Hope, hope that he gets done as he's preaching. Go off and do the rest of your life. You're, you're, you're on my team. I don't have to bother you. Free skate, go. But if you start meddling, you start making much of this Savior, if, if that's happening, well, we're going boxing one on that guy. That's a basketball term. We're going to take him and his effectiveness out of the game. We're going to concert all of our efforts. That's what happened with Job, right? Remember Job? He's like esteemed among men, and, and Satan says, you know what, if you gave me a shot, I could make him curse your name. And God says, all right, do your worst. And he did. He didn't go after Shakaliah. Uh, maybe that was Job's neighbor. I don't know. Anyway, uh, he didn't bother with him. Huh. Uh, for the sake of time, let me skip down uh, to uh, the last reason, uh, the most important reason. You with me, Chris? I'm going to skip verse 15. Um, what's our greatest cause for rejoicing in our suffering? Because our suffering enables us to bring glory to God. Look what it says in verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him go through that suffering knowing, knowing that he is bringing glory to God in the name of Christ. Our suffering brings glory to God. Isn't that what we say we live for? We live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. We live so that through us and through even our pain and our suffering, God might be glorified. Uh, I've shared this with you. It was shared with me some 25 years ago when I was a young youth pastor in a church in Dallas. Uh, our preacher got up one day and said, listen, anytime someone compliments you, obviously, if you've done anything good, it's because of the grace of God in you and through you. And so when you get complimented, just, you know, predispose, predispose yourself to saying, yay, God. Has anybody ever heard me say, yay, God? I know many of you have kind of picked that up as I preached it and said it and things like that, or maybe you did it before I knew you. But that's just a great habit. When, some, when someone says, hey, Mark, good sermon, my first move is, yay, God. I may not agree with them, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, but if they felt like God worked through something I said, my immediate reaction is, no matter how bad I thought it went, yay, God, that God did that for you. And then the gracious, polite side of me says, and thank you. And then if I'm, you know, really working at it, what did he teach you through the things that I said? And can I just, you know, this little aside, second service aside, it's almost never something I said, just so you know. They usually heard something from the Holy Spirit that didn't even tumble out of my mouth, or they extrapolated something that I had said, and it made this sense to them, and this is where we're, and I'm always like, oh, cool. Well, that was, I can totally tell you, that wasn't me. That was God. Yeah, God. All right. But here's what I'm learning. Someone's like, where's this going? What's this got to do with suffering? Here's what I'm learning. In our suffering, you know what our, our same reaction is? When someone comes to us and says, man, your life is in the toilet. Everything is off the rails. 
When, when we, like Job's wife, come and say, curse, people come to us and say, curse God and die. What do we do? What Job did. Yeah, God. Remember what Job said? Naked I came into this world, naked I shall return. Take it all away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. So, suffering bottom line. Verse 19. This is what Peter says as he summarizes his thoughts here in this section of his letter. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. All right. He told us earlier, don't be surprised when you suffer. It's going to happen. So when you suffer, two things, Peter says as he closes. Entrust your souls to your faithful creator and trust everything that you have, all that, you're, all that you're going through, just say, Lord, it's yours. I trust you with this. I'm going to follow you through this. I'm going to pray that you deliver me from this. But if it's your will that I walk in this, I trust you. Let's go. It's the only time in the New Testament that God is referred to by this name, the creator. It talks about his creation in John 1 and in different places. But this is the one time that that moniker, that name for God is used in the New Testament. I think Peter uses it because he wants to remind people who are in suffering, these churches in Asia Minor. Hey, is God our designer? Is God our creator? Does God know the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega? Does he know everything in between? Is he here in the midst of what's going on? Absolutely trust him and he will see you through. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Entrust your souls to your faithful creator while doing good. Be about your business. Honor him. Do what's right. Don't panic. Don't fret. Don't worry. If the hymn writers of the last hundred years were um, focusing on this text, it wouldn't surprise me when they penned one that I grew up singing. It's this song, Trust and Obey. Anybody remember that one? Trust and obey, the chorus goes, because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. That's what Peter's saying. Hey, when suffering comes, trust him. When suffering comes, obey him. You know why that song's uh, meaningful to me and my family is because uh, just a little under 30 years ago, uh, my dad was a pastor in a, a church in central Illinois, and uh, uh, lots of uh, his difficulties in life came to light. He'd been unfaithful to my mom. Uh, he was having to resign from his post. So my wife and I got on a plane from Dallas, and we flew back to this church in Illinois, and I sat on the front row like it was a funeral as I watched my dad get up and, and humble himself before his church and confess his sin and, and ask for forgiveness and, and you know, um, it was hard. Uh, my mom asked for five minutes uh, just to be able to share her heart. She got up. She didn't bring her Bible. You know, she brought the hymn book. And she popped it open to that hymn. And she read that chorus. Well, she read more than that chorus. She said, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. 
Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh or a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way what he says we will do. Where he sends, we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. She said, I'm staying with my husband even though biblically I don't have to. We're going to walk through this because in my God I trust and it's he who I will obey. May God grant us that as we go through the struggles of our lives. Will you pray with me? Lord, thanks for your grace to us in life. Uh, your, your blessings are innumerable um, and we thank you for them, but every once in a while in life, God, things fall apart. But we know that you've told us through Peter and other parts of scripture not to be surprised when that happens, but it's hard. Sometimes it feels like we're losing, even though I know we've already won uh, and you've gained the victory at the cross, Jesus. We thank you for that. But when we feel those things, when, when the trials come, when we're awaiting um, you know, the, the, the results of the test, when we're feeling the stress of wondering how things are going to work out in our marriage, when we're wondering how we're going to pay the bills, when, when, when life is falling apart around us, um, would you remind us? that in suffering we can identify with you, in suffering we, we know that you have a future reward for us, in suffering your Holy Spirit is present with us now and we can trust and obey. Help us to do that, Lord, I pray. Give us the strength, hone us, temper us. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.